Here we go, the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This show presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. I am recording this actually right after the rain delay on Wednesday night. It was a relatively short delay between the Phillies and Marlins. So as of this recording, I don't even know the outcome of the game. The Marlins were leading. You'll get a recap of that here on the podcast feed on the small pod Thursday morning. And of course, we'll have our article on fish stripes. We'll break down the second half of this game, but the Marlins are in a promising position. For this episode, you're going to be hearing one, two, three, four, seven different voices. Only one of them mine. Most of them will not be mine. Seven different voices combining a couple pre-recorded segments that we did of analysis. The first one is going to be from our Fish Stripes Live Philly series preview show where that was the first reaction to the trade. Um, and then later on, I'll be inserting the conversation between me and Peter Pratt from his special 100th episode of Fish Across the Ponds, where we dive deep into the past, the present, and the uncertain future of Lewis Brinson with the Marlins organization. Uh, during this brief intro, I, I wanted to just give some perspective on the trade that went down. The timing of the trade, very surprising, on a Tuesday morning. Uh, being that it was a full month ahead of the typical trade deadline. And the fact that one of the main players that the Marlins traded, Corey Dickerson, is on the injured list and not particularly close to being ready to play in Major League games. The full trade, I'm sure you've seen it by now, the Marlins sent Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber and about $2.65 million in cash considerations to the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for infielder Joe Panic and righty reliever Andrew McInvale. So we, we do have a lot of coverage already up on Fish Traps on all their platforms. Uh, Spencer Morris did a deep dive on McInvale, who we, um, who's been reported now to AA Pensacola. He did not pitch here on his first day of eligibility on Wednesday night, but I'm sure we'll see him in the coming days make his organizational debut. Someone who was a super late round draft pick back in 2019, totally off the map, the prospect map as of last year when there was no minor league season, but apparently the work that he put in during that COVID year paid off because he got that aggressive assignment first to high A and then double A, and he was doing uh, relatively well prior to the trade. Uh, the more recognizable name that the Marlins got back was Joe Panic, who during the first half of this game had the one of the most un-Joe Panic-like games that you could have as someone who really prides himself on his contact ability. That is his elite skill even here coming up on his 31st birthday. Is great at putting balls in play, and yet he had a strikeout in his second plate appearance as a Marlin. He had a home run in his very first plate appearance as a Marlin. It's a no-no. Joe Panic fly ball, right field, goodbye! Or should I say, hello! Welcome to the Marlins, Joe Panic, a solo home run. Hell, indeed, it's a hello. How you doing, Joe Panic? Welcome to the Marlins. The offense much appreciated. Early offense for the Marlins, and what did it bat? Yeah, off of Aaron Nola, 
on a night when Aaron Nola was otherwise, at least early in the game, Nola was pretty sharp. So that is so uncharacteristic of Panic to have a home run and a strikeout in his first two plate appearances for the Marlins. Expect uh, not much of that moving forward. Um, Very interesting position that he's in. Uh, He's going to be a pending free agent. And uh, the question is whether the Marlins actually hold on to him the rest of the year or whether they consider flipping him again in the, within this next month at the trade deadline if he does heat up at the plate because they did buy low on him. He was struggling for the Blue Jays. That's why a team in the Blue Jays that's trying to contend considered him expendable, that he was able to land with the Marlins. I like the fit. Um, even on days when he's not starting like today, he is a useful player off the bench because of his contact skills, because of his versatility to play mainly second base and third base, but also, I guess, shortstop in a super emergency because of his intangibles that he brings as a former World Series champion and all that, because of his left-handedness as a hitter. The Marlins, that's really been one of the weakest points of their whole roster, if you want to get really specific about it, is not having lefty hitting options off the bench in those late situations. Uh, So I I think he, he helps in some regard, with them. On the other side of the deal, um, I think what the return reflects is that Corey Dickerson's injury is relatively serious. That the fact that the Marlins, they ate half of the money still owed to Dickerson and Simper for the rest of the year. Combined, those guys were owed more than $5 million from here towards season's end, and the Marlins end up covering $2.65 million. Uh, yeah, there's really no sign that Dickerson will be back until after the All-Star break, and then even after then, who knows? Of course, even when he was healthy earlier in the year, he was not particularly good, and it just goes to show that he probably had negative value at this stage on the market, and honestly, even with the money that the Marlins covered, he might have still had um, been underwater with that contract, just because you don't know if he's going to be anything other than a replacement-level player, given the injury and given what we've seen in the parts of last two seasons. With Adam Simber, um, all in all, uh, I guess you need to applaud the team for picking him up essentially off the scrap heap when he was DFA'd by Cleveland about seven months ago. In fact, the first major league player that was acquired in the Kim Eng era. That's a fascinating dynamic. When you have a new GM takeover, you wonder whether she would have been extra attached to players like Simber, one, because he had several years of team control remaining all the way through the 2024 season, also because, you know, he was the first major league player that that was acquired once she officially filled that chair as GM, not solely her decision, but yet someone that was sort of handpicked um, under this, this new front office, as opposed to being someone that was inherited from, you know, the Michael Hill days, but yet, uh, they, that didn't stop them from, from flipping him at this time when he clearly had positive trade value. And we've seen even before Kim Eng arrived that this approach that the Marlins take to their bullpen is that they're really not afraid to totally shake it up every single year. They're not going to get any, they're not going to get super attached to any individual reliever, just understanding that it's, it's not all that hard to rolled the dice on some minor league free agents, on some undervalued guys, and get someone that's extremely useful out of it. They trust their ability to find replacements, and while they're churning those guys in those single-ending roles, that they're able to get a lot of surplus value, young talent in between. Not a flashy move. Um, I just wanted to say that I think the fact that they included as much money as they did in order to get something back in terms of young talent 
The fact that they put in as much money as they did to ensure that they did get something more than just Panic himself is, um, I think it's it's notable. It's notable. So I did put up a poll about this trade uh, pretty much right when it happened, but I kept the poll up for a day and a half on purpose just to give people some time to digest. We got a lot of votes here, 660 votes in this poll, and the options were, uh, you know, giving a word to the trade from the Marlins perspective, was it a terrific trade? Was it a good trade? Was it a meh trade? Or was it a bad trade? And we had only 5% say it was terrific. We had only 31.9%, 32%, about a third say it was good. We had slightly over half, 55% say it was meh. And we had 8% say it was bad. So in full disclosure, my initial thought was it was a meh trade, and I think that's still where I stand, not to be you know swayed too much by Joe Panic's great debut, that I'll still lean towards that, that it's not a clear win for the Marlins just because of all the team control that Simber still had, and because of the unique look that he gives as a submariner. Uh, the Marlins do not have very many of those submariners in the organization, and especially none that have several years of major league track record already like like Simber does. It was a meh trade, but it was fun nonetheless to have something happen uh, this early before the deadline. It's it's always very hectic to cover that and to come up with an intelligent reaction to that, but it's a good problem to have for us here at Fish Stripes. What's coming up in just a few moments is that I'll be inserting the clip from our Fish Stripes live show every single series. We do this live stream. It's an hour long on Twitter, on Twitch, on YouTube. Follow us, subscribe to us on all those platforms. And that's where you could hear a lot of banter. It's I'm behind the scenes producing it. I usually don't talk very much on these shows. So this is going to give you some other perspectives um, from our guys and from our special guests about uh, you know their thoughts on all things Marlins, especially things that are notable in the moment. So this was recorded on Tuesday night, just a few hours after that trade went down, and uh, I, I like the way that they approached this and kind of broke it down. Before we get to that, a reminder that this show is brought to you by Symbol, our partner for all the way back to spring training. They're the stock market for sports, and it's a special day for Symbol because this is the launch of their college football team ISOs, initial share offerings. You can now make those investments uh, on Thursday, beginning Thursday night. They are all being discounted. It's a special opportunity to buy low, and you're going to profit if you do invest right now in those college football teams. That's in addition to MLB, NFL, NBA. That's all been up there all year long. You use your knowledge about these different sports to, to pick the teams that you feel are going to be winning games in the near-term future, or if you want to hold on to them for longer than that, there's a lot of different approaches. Join more than 2,500 early adopters who have already started to invest. Symbol.app, www.simbull.app. Create your free account. When you make that first deposit, use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, FISHSTRIPES, for a $10 deposit bonus. The current Sim Marlin share price is exactly $28.83. Visit symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES for your $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know, invest in sports. And stay with us now for this clip from FISHSTRIPES Live. You will be hearing... I think five different voices on this. Ethan Badowski was the host, joined by Kevin Baral, Isaac Azut, Alex Carver, and Noah Berger. Fist Stripes Live from Tuesday. Enjoy. 
Fish Stripes Live coming at you on a Tuesday night here uh, from Gainesville, Florida this time. I am Ethan Madowski, joined as always by Kevin Baral and Isaac Azut. Alex Carver is with us as well, joining the show today on a very busy Marlins day. And usually we start uh, by previewing the previous series, but I guess we'll get to that uh, later in the show because I really want to get to what went down today, which is obviously the Marlins go ahead and make a trade today. It's the first of what could be many uh, trades that we see this season, uh, as we all know where the Marlins are right now. And a lot of what happens going forward is going to depend on the next month or so of baseball that the Marlins play. So obviously the trade, uh, the Marlins get uh, trade Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber to the Toronto Blue Jays. In return, they get Joe Panic and a minor league pitcher. He is a right-handed pitcher. He's going to go to double A Pensacola. Uh, Kim Ang told us he has some good numbers with the Blue Jays. He's got like a 2.81 ERA and more than 12 case per nine. He's a reliever in uh, 20 innings this year. So just your initial reaction, I guess, Alex, I'll start with you since we already talked a little bit. Um, your, your initial reaction to this trade. I mean, I guess the tagline could be panic at the depot, right? That's what we're looking at. <laughs> we're looking at Joe Panic coming over. Um, solid little player. I mean, made, has made a good career as like that utility guy. Plays pretty much everywhere. Doesn't strike out a ton. Um, makes contact, but the problem is it's not hard contact, right? That's the real issue when it comes to Joe Panic. Um, probably going to assume a bench role. We'll see what they do in moving yep. other infield pieces. Maybe he steps into a bigger role. Uh, but I think what you're looking at it, and Kim Ang denied this, but I, I think we just look at it as, as, as salary white with, with Corey Dickerson's contract. That's what it comes down to. They do pick up half of it, but they did want to try to get something out of him uh, you know, with that expiry deal rather than just letting him walk. So I think that's what it comes down to is a salary wipe. The question is, and I, I'm sure we'll get to this, Ethan, what do they do with that money plus this new money right. from the naming rights deal and everything else? So that's the next question. But on the forefront – yeah, uh, Panic saw a little player. He, he's made a decent career. Hopefully he's got some uh, some veteran tools to him, some veteran leadership can bring that as well. Love that for this young team. And then McIlvain, man, good two-pitch mix. I like his velo. I like his slider. So, uh, yeah, I'm okay with the trade. But, um, yeah, I, I really think it just came down to the salary wipe with Dickerson. It feels like it all kind of cancels out in terms of, you know, it's like Dickerson, an injured Dickerson for panic, and Dickerson was probably going to be in a bench role. And then you look at, you know, Simber, you're probably going to move him in July. He's a free agent at the end of the year. So this is kind of a chance to move him now, get out in front of the market and get a relief, you know, a relief prospect in the interim. Um, Isaac, I think the big thing here is what it says for Jesus Sanchez now. Right. That's the whole, you know, that's the main point that I got from this trade for sure. It was basically not only to clear money, it was to clear just a spot. Jesus, he's shown enough, shown his good at bats, shown enough to be, you know what, we're going to trust him all the way in left field. I think also like Dickerson was not going to be here post 21 regardless. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like you, no way he could, Jesus can play worse than Corey, you know, no offense, but you know, so I think he's, Jesus is someone you want to see if he can be here for a while. So, you know, that's definitely the smart move there. And at the same time, you get a little bit of infield depth, which you needed for sure. You know, you won't thank God no more. Luis Marte, well, he's starting today, but, you know, Luis and Isan Diaz as much, which that'll be good. And, yeah, it was just my main thing from it was Jesus Sanchez is going to be every day in left field. Yeah, Kevin, this is where I kind of looked to when I saw that Joe Panic was coming over is it allows – um, Jose Devers, who the Marlins had to call up in an emergency situation, guys like that, uh, Lewin Diaz, you know, panic can play first base. So all of a sudden you're looking at these guys that you would prefer to have in AAA and you don't have to call them up. Yeah. 
I mean, first of all, I think it, it, Corey Dickerson knows they're going to trade him either way. They're going to get some value for him. And yeah, I mean, you told me Isan's not going to come up anytime soon now with Joe Panic as the utility guy. I think this trade pretty much, when it comes on the side of Joe Panic, is he's going to be the utility, the depth that the Marlins have needed. He's a good bat, 246 batting average. It's what they need. Uh, no more Isan for a long time. Jose Devers is going to get its reps as well as Lewin, which is what I think we've all agreed to that mm-hmm. they need right now. So, and at the end of the day, it was, I think it was a good trade on both on both ends for the Blue Jays and the Marlins. Yeah, trades don't always have to have winners. And now you kind of pair, you know, Joe Panic with John Birdie, both guys that are versatile, uh, can you know, Panic likely to come off the bench. And honestly, I've always said that Birdie has is kind of better in his everyday role, but he's been really good, or, or he's better in that utility man role. But he's been a lot better since he's been playing every day. Yeah. So this kind of allows, you know, some some pushing to birdie behind there and like i said um you know panic is a guy that can play every day so noah you're obviously the asan guy for whatever reason there's oh, I, still I the whole holding out there I, I okay so off we're train. off that train but I'm, I'm what, what were your the mags train i will stay on until it dies the mags um, train never dies well he just got knocked down the totem pole a little more by another lefty bat coming in but just what do you think this did for the marlins in terms of what do you think they get out of this trade in the short term uh i think i i, I was upset to see simber go i really liked the way he pitched mm-hmm. um yeah. uh i think we we get the infield depth that we need um desperately need even though birdie is birdie and he's awesome um miguel rojas is still dealing with his his finger so he needs some time off he needs to be able to slowly come back into playing every day um we still have luis Marte, and i don't want to hear any slander on him yet don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it um we we he's he takes some really impressive BP. I'll say this. I've seen his BP a few times, and he's he puts on a bit of a show. So you never know. There's always the mixing mix of buying and selling that you can do at the deadline, right? And I think that this is a move, definitely, that's a mix of buying and selling because you sell on Simber. You get the prospect from Simber. You know, you, you give get the money off the books from Dickerson, but you buy – Jesus Sanchez in a way because now he's your everyday left fielder and you get to really evaluate going forward you know is this a guy that can be part of the future can he all of a sudden get really hot and he's contributing a lot down the stretch as one of your best hitters so I think that you know I agree with Aang when she says that this is a mix of buying and selling uh this is you know a a now and a later move um and I go ahead yeah no, that the that the the Blue Jays were interested in Dickerson. I'm pretty sure yeah. last winner yeah. was the report. Yeah, they, so they, they wanted this guy for a while. Both Ang and Mattingly, like Mattingly, said that he wasn't surprised when he found out that Dickerson was going to the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays had been after him for a while. So the final segment here on our podcast is going to be shared from Fish Across the Ponds. If you don't know, it's it's hosted by. Peter Pratt out in the UK, along with his several, as he calls them, the UK goats, several Marlins fans uh, across the ponds who follow this team just as closely as anybody. And they've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now. They've brought great, great guests, and they put together this special 100th episode edition that brings back a lot of these returning guests to comment on all sorts of matters that are relevant to the current team or the recent history of the team. So Peter entrusted me with this conversation about Lewis Brinson. 
who has, you know, he's been one of those polarizing figures in the organization for about three and a half years. And we went all the way back to the trade and tried to look forward as well as to what his future in the Marlins organization is. Be sure to subscribe to Fish Across the Ponds wherever you get your podcast. Follow Peter himself on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Enjoy. Eli Sussman, the king of gifts, is back in town. Eli, how are we doing? I'm just thrilled to be here as you celebrate this big milestone, talking about uh, one of the like pillar subjects of your entire the run of your show. As long as I've been at Fist Stripes, um, Lewis Brinson has been uh, a very highly discussed topic, and uh, I'm looking forward to really diving into that whole experience. 100%. So uh, we're going to dive straight into it. This, this segment, this conversation is only about one man. The main man in, in my eyes back in, I don't know, 2018, whatever it was, Lewis Brinson. We're going to get into it. Um, let's start. Let's go back to the start that we like. You know, he was probably the headline name, I would guess, as part of this Yelich trade. Uh, one of the rebuild OGs is how I'm going to describe it. When that trade happened, and you know, clearly the Marlins got a ton of guys back as part of that. But you know, like I said, he was the headliner, I'd say. What, what do you sense were the expectations for the Marlins at that moment of uh, when, when Brinson was acquired? The trade was popular, uh, not overwhelmingly so, but all things considered, based on the rumors about what they could get in return, um, about the potential players on the Brewers that would be available once it was rumored that the Brewers were a likely match in this situation. I mean, just speaking for myself, um, I thought Brinson would have been off limits, not at least in this type of trade. I thought I was surprised that they were able to get him along with three other players, Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz, Jordan Yamamoto. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that Brinson was the headliner. Uh, and why was I pleasantly surprised? Because he was a consensus, not only a top 100 prospect, you know, that's the line of demarcation we use a lot when talking about guys who are legit and to get really excited about, but he was a consensus top 50 prospect at the time of the trade entering that 2018 season. He'd already gotten a little taste of the majors the year before. I thought that was so key. Someone that we'd seen in the majors who we've seen hit uh, 430 foot home runs with the Brewers, only a couple of them, but it showed something. There were little flashes of ability that he had already shown in the majors the year before uh, to have him at the start of his career with six more years of team control coming forward. And I mean, the icing on top of it all was that his connection to Miami growing up as a professed Marlins fan, uh, idolizing Juan Pierre, as many other fans of his same age did uh, during that early 2000s run, his local connection uh, added together with the, his position as an outfielder to fill that void directly that was left by Yelich and Stanton and Ozuna and the stage of his career that he was at where there were still all these amazing possibilities in front of him. Uh, there was, it was cautious optimism that he could be one of the key long-term pieces of this team. hundred percent. I mean, when you, when you go back and summarize it in that way, it's it, sometimes it's easy to forget that like that was the lens we were looking through at the time of listen, you know, yeah. Okay. We're moving on from Yelich. He wasn't what he went on to be in, uh, in Milwaukee plus 
you acquire a major league ready or on the cusp, we'll get into that shortly, but seemingly major league ready outfielder um, that was a top 50 guy prospect, you'd think, excellent. You know, plus you get three others that also were high upside dudes. And we've obviously seen, and, you know, we'll, we'll maybe won't spend as much time on them, but it's easy to forget that. And I think um, with that perhaps came, I guess, some expectations, let's say on Lewis or, and equally because of his connection to Miami, a desire to do well too. Maybe the pressure was kind of put on him because of uh, maybe how well Yelich was doing, but equally, um, you know, his connection just wanted to do so well himself because, you know, he's from the area. But that aside, how would you kind of assess, you know, the early parts of his career with the Marlins, you know, in terms of his performance, how the Marlins used him? Yeah. And broadly, was he ready? Was he ready to be there in, in a full-blown, I guess, rebuild situation, which is a very different situation now to like a Jesus Sanchez dropping in where it isn't that type of situation. As they say, hindsight is 2020 mm-hmm. uh, living in the moments. He was excellent in spring training, 2018. Uh, we've come <laughs> to know Brinson and spring training and that special connection that the, they have. Um, but he, he was very impressive in his first spring training. He was hitting near the top of the lineup almost every day. Um, I think he hit over 300. He hit a couple home runs. Uh, the strikeouts were high, but he, he showed all the tools were on display. The reason why he was a highly regarded prospect is not necessarily that he had that one individual skill that you knew was elite, but he had the potential to be above average across the board with his power, with his base running, with his defense. And I mean, hopefully with his hitting, we'll get into that. That's really been the difference between the expectations of him and the reality of him is that Mm -hmm. that hit tool um, during that spring training, he was hitting well, he was hitting the ball with authority. And again, I could put myself back in those shoes of, March 2018, kind of applauding the team for putting him on the opening day roster. There was some possibility that they could have optioned him to the minors and played with his service time that they understood, of course, that 2018 season was ground floor of the rebuild. There was um, there was just no expectations whatsoever on the major league team, um, and he was not going to make a difference one way or the other. So this was all about just what was best for him. And I, it's hard to argue with the decision that he was put on that opening day roster. From the very beginning of the year, he was hitting, I think, near the very top of the lineup for, a, for the f- first few days. That only lasted, I don't even think, an entire week until they dropped him down lower on to take the pressure off of him. Um very early, he had some of those individual plays that really made you say, wow. He, uh, I remember he robbed a home run of Mookie Betts uh, during probably the second series of his career uh, in a very pivotal spot, showing what he could do defensively. And um, he did struggle a lot with the bet through those first couple weeks. And then they went on the road to play the Brewers. And I think this is still like one of the um, key like positive moments, I guess, of his Marlins tenure is that against the Brewers, he had a couple home runs, including one that was might still still be the furthest one of his entire career against his former team in that situation. Um, I think Christian Yelich also did very well on the other side during that same series. But nonetheless, with Brinson, that was a nice coming out moment. And unfortunately, it just wasn't didn't have any bearing on the future you know almost right after that he you saw the same deficiencies he suffered a minor injury towards the middle of the year he came back from the injury um didn't see much improvement and i mean overall that rookie year they gave him more than 400 plate appearances when he was healthy he was playing almost every single day and he just did not take advantage of it uh he hit below 200 um 
he he did home run hit 11 homers um but the base running wasn't there he wasn't getting on base enough uh the strikeouts were high um he was someone that I think many people regarded as a potential rookie of the year contender immediately in for that first year uh, for the reasons that, you know, I mentioned that he was going to be in that position to make an impact and that they were going to stick with him uh, even through some pretty bad slumps. And really they did stick with him that first year, aside from that injury. Uh, and it just was a really discouraging first step. No. What did we see then as we kind of got into, to, to, into 2019, I guess, where I, that was where I think, uh, you know, the playing time, the kind of, you know, he, he spent some time in the minors again in that stage. So clearly the Marlins were ta- seemingly trying to take a bit of pressure off him, I think. I, I, that was the sense I got anyway. What was your take on that? Well, spring training was more the same. He was excellent during <laughs> spring training. <laughs> he did have, um, I think, relatively close to everyday playing time coming out of the gate in 2019. Uh, but the offensive struggles were, I think, even more severe coming out of the gate. So it was really only about a month into the season. It wasn't only him. Uh, people, unfortunately, might not want to reflect on this, but that entire 2019 team, they were almost historically bad offensively through the early portion of the season. And that's why the team was losing at such a high rate, but uh, he was one of the first ones to uh, get sent down. It was with really with only, I think within one month of that 2019 season, they saw there's clearly something wrong, something that's not translating from the exhibition games to the real games um, that like, just to go more into what, what the flaws are offensively. He just, he doesn't use the whole field. He's someone that he pulls the ball and he, his strength is probably going up the middle of the field to center field, but he just does not hit for any authority to that opposite field. He, um, he doesn't really recognize uh, like other pitch types that he's facing that you could really fool him on breaking balls and off speed pitches. And that's an ability that for whatever reason, he was able to skate by in the upper minor leagues and have a lot of success there, uh, put up great numbers in the upper minors. He put up great numbers in AAA after they sent him down in 2019. He spent almost half the season in AAA and he was, he was a really great offensive player down there. Um, but against major league quality pitchers that have those wipeout secondary pitches, he, he just had trouble, trouble recognizing those pitches, trouble, adjusting to them and using the entire field. He got himself behind in the count so often. Um, and it just goes down to this foundation for most quality hitters are ones that put the ball in play a lot. And they also know when to draw their walks when they don't get anything to hit. What it seemed like is that the league understood that he is not a disciplined hitter and that he doesn't have that particularly good eye to perceive what type of pitch is coming out of their hands. They would throw him a lot of pitches out of the zone. He would chase those pitches out of the zone and he would not be successful with those pitches. The, the overall stats were even worse during that 2019 season. I mean, the one that sticks out like a sore thumb is zero home runs in mm-hmm. 75 games. That was the year in 2019 where home runs were higher than ever across the league. Yeah. He was one of the few players anywhere that went even half a season into 2019 without going deep even once. And that's the one, one of the, the really the one saving grace of his offensive profiles that he could hit the ball out if you made a mistake to him. And we did not, he did not do that whatsoever during that second season. It's shocking, isn't it? Zero home runs on in 75 games or whatever. How many, how many plate appearances was that? 248. Wow. You know, for that type of player that has shown the ability to do that relatively regularly, you know, in the past, 
to have zero home runs is it, it's a real head scratcher. Like it truly is the way that played out. But um, you know, we then get into the 2020 season, the shortened 2020 season. And I feel like the decision was taken for Lou to have a specific role. And, and actually he was pretty successful. I would say in 2020 in that specific role, like the defensive side has always been there. I remember he had some great plays in 2020, um, robbed a couple of homers as well, but from the offensive side, he went straight up into a platoon. It was like, if there's a lefty going, then, then Lou's got an opportunity to start, but anything else, it's a bench and pinch hitting and pinch running probably for Lou. So, you know, that was an interesting kind of change that the Marlins made there that actually, I think, you know, worked out. Yeah. To be completely frank, uh, after that 2019 season, I mean, you could see with your own eyes what the struggles were, but if you dig into the numbers and you see players in this age range that got this much playing time at this stage of their careers, there just didn't seem to be any path for him to emulate of a successful everyday player that usually once you see somebody play close to 200 games at the major league level, the way that he did those first couple of years with his struggles that all those players either flame out of the league or they become a part-time player. Um, so I remember advocating for them to just cut ties at that point, less than two years after acquiring him in the first place. Um, unfortunately uh, the team didn't do that, but you're right. They did have at least the, the strength to admit that he should not be forced into a role that he is not qualified for, that they should use him on in that platoon situation. He ended up platooning specifically with Matt Joyce for a lot of that year. And Mm -hmm. um, Matt Joyce actually had some nice moments as well, even though the final stats didn't really reflect that. And I mean, you're right that Brinson performed the best of his career that year. Um, If people that use wins above replacement, he performed right around replacement level. Um, now that's not the same as it being an average player. That's being just replacement level. That just means worth keeping around doing something to, uh, keep the ball rolling. It's not very high praise, but the fact that it was an improvement over where he had been the previous two years is very legitimate. You mentioned his defense and that's the one thing I do have to give him credit for is there's been improvement for sure from where he first was when he joined the organization, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with his arm strength. He was doing better in clutch situations as well. Like if you dig through his his career splits based on the situation and the context, uh, what you find is that across almost all situations, he really does struggle and there's not much of a silver lining to that. But when there are runners in scoring position, especially when there are two outs in the inning, um, when it's up to you to extend that inning and to make a difference, he has stepped up in those situations way more than he has in other circumstances. And 2020 was the best example of that. Um, Didn't have a big role to play in the postseason, And frankly, he did fade down the stretch even before getting to the postseason. But that was certainly, I guess, the peak of his experience. And you could see it both on the field and off the field. His, uh, his participation in the iconic cigar ceremony at Wrigley field um, that he's, he's someone that, I think maybe at times in his career, he's had issues with his confidence, but during that 2020 season, it didn't really show up whatsoever that he really enjoyed being part of that team. Even in the role that he was in, he embraced his role on that winning team. And I mean, that was good to see because ultimately he delivered that postseason birth, which is something that cannot be said of the previous core that the Marlins had. And that's why I think fans kind of gravitated towards that. Yeah, for sure. I I love those images. I love, you know, how Lou embraced that. 
Um, yeah, he's definitely had a confidence issue and he's talked about it before about, you know, social media and cutting things out and, you know, just trying to, you know, just be with the people that he wants to be with and surround him, I guess, probably with more positive energy. But anyway, listen, we are where we are now. It's, you know, towards the end of June in 2021. Uh, Sweet Lou is currently in AAA. Um, you know, the, the question is, you know, as we approach the deadline or the end, you know, go into the, the off season in 2022, you know, what, what value, well, firstly, does he need a fresh start? And if he does, um, you know, what value does a, an optionless Lewis Brinson hold right now? Um, or is, you know, is there, is there going to be no trade fits for, for uh, this type of Lewis Brinson right now? Eli's shaking his head. So there's <laughs> no value just because of the, the limitations to his bat. The bat is ultimately the most important aspect of your game, the bat and the plate discipline. And he's shown neither of those. Uh, there's a very small number of players that you can justify putting in there just on the strength of their defense. And I don't think his defense is quite on that Jackie Bradley Jr. level, uh, that Byron Buxton level, that he's not quite at that tier that you're willing to overlook uh, potential other concerns. Uh, the fact that he's out of options, that's really the key. Even mm -hmm. if a team feels that they can rehabilitate this former first-round draft pick, it is, it's a common refrain. It has happened before. Um, I wouldn't entirely dismiss the opportunity that his best days are still ahead of him. He's just, the value is not going to be there on the market. I it's really a curious question. And if they designate him for assignment at any point during the season, whether or not anybody even claims him on waivers, maybe I, I don't know. I think there's a chance that he could actually sneak through waivers. And if they really do believe in his intangibles and they like his chemistry around the rest of the team that, I mean, there's a chance that he stays in the Marlins organization as a non-roster player, the rest of this year, heading into uh, 2022. I, I feel that's overdue. Um, People know how I feel about Harold Ramirez and mm. how um, entering this 2021 season, um, I have a hard time understanding why they believe that many things being equal about the situation of those two players, why they preferred to hold on to Lewis Brinson and not Harold Ramirez at that time. It, it's always going to be perplexing that he hits so well in spring training, that he hits so well at AAA and, and it doesn't convert, but um, honestly, he's not unique in that regard. There are a lot of players that fall in that same bucket and those players, because of that supply of those players, and of course their determination to keep on playing that, uh, he just, uh, that value is, is all but gone that in what he has as a tangible player, uh, on the market. So it's, it's a question of exactly when the Marlins pull the plug. And again, it could be that awkward situation where they pull the plug on him and, and they have no takers and he actually stays in the organization. But you've talked, of course, on your podcast uh, and us on Fist Stripes about all these other outfielders in this organization. We saw Jesus Sanchez break through. Later this summer, we hope to see one or two more. Maybe Monte Harrison gets another chance. Uh, maybe J.J. Bladey shows that he's really put it all together. Um, and then further down the pipeline, they have these other players uh, ready to go as well. Also, this team just has the money to spend on proven outfielders, whether it's to keep Starling Marte or to pursue somebody else. Um, there's no reason to stick with this one player who, aside from a very brief stretch, has not shown the makings of being a, 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 a substantial member of your major league team. Um, so it's, it's been unfortunate. Um, I think as you kind of referenced earlier that maybe coming home, wasn't actually the best thing for him, uh, that maybe it, he would respond better to a change of scenery. Um, but there's been stretches where I think 
he attests and his teammates attest to the fact that he puts in the work that he really has been determined to be the best version of himself. But a talent evaluation is a very inexact science. And uh, he's kind of the poster child for that. And um, why would this Marlins rebuild the fact that they made a number of other moves to build up this depth that they have, why those are so crucial because you never know which exact one is going to pop. So it's unfortunate that he became somewhat of a a mascot of this rebuild. um, But before he really had the chance to to prove himself. And uh, I just would encourage people to um, not direct any hate towards him for his performance that there are that again, this it's a complicated game and it's, it's a tricky business to know who's going to make it and who isn't. Absolutely. I, I was going to ask you this question in a different way, but I'm going to rephrase it now. I'm going to bring out the shock o um, So we need, we're going to bring this one out. It's one to 10 on the shock o Lewis Brinson is on the 2022 opening day roster. Give me your one to 10 on shock o there. Nine. Um, <laughs> I won't go higher than that. Probably a nine. Uh, the fact that there were these these milestones along the way where I feel they could have parted ways with him earlier this year or the year before and they didn't do it. I would be very surprised. Um, a lot of it is conditional on whether they pay Marte and bring him back to give them stability in center field. We know that they have the other pending free agents in the other corners as well. Um, I would hope not. Um, for everybody's best interest, I would hope not. That's not the case. It'd be very surprising. Yeah. I thought you may go 10, but I maybe, uh, there you go. You've reined it back in. I, I went with nine as a homage to his original uniform number with the Marlins. There you go. I have that on the back of a jersey, that exact one, the OG version of the Lewis Brinson jersey. Awesome. Well, Eli Sussman, really appreciate you hopping on for episode 100. That was a fascinating uh, segment on Lewis Brinson and uh, we got into a lot of detail I think it is important to remember what we all thought at the time and nothing's just, there's no sure things in in baseball prospects that's you know we've seen that we felt that ourselves clearly with you know guys that come up and you know maybe don't overwhelm us so it's important to do that Lou for me love the guy love the the attitude um, you know it's just the question is, Is does a fresh start suit him right now? We wait to see on that one, I guess. But Eli, thanks so much for that. I really enjoyed that one. And um, for the final the final question, though, of course, is where can everyone get you on Twitter if they if they need to connect up with you? Well, me personally, they can find me at Real Eli, E-L-Y. Uh, but overall, I, I'm spearheading most of our efforts at Fish Stripes. Everywhere you find Fish Stripes, on Twitter, on Instagram, our, our podcast, on YouTube, uh, our website, fishstripes.com. You can get in to contact with me there and see our coverage of the Marlins, including uh, AAA Jacksonville, where Lewis Brinson is. Um, <laughs> we, we keep you up to date on all that stuff. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah.